Um, can we just celebrate our kids? Let them know we love them. <clears throat> they are a part of the church just as much as you and I and any other mature person. We're gonna start with a little fun after all that. <clears throat> a couple years ago, this one was going around. Uh, come on, show that. Do you see a blue dress or a gold dress? What do you see? Gold? Everybody sees gold. I don't know if you saw blue, you need to get your eyes checked. That's for sure. Okay, here's a couple other interesting ones. Do you see, uh, come on, show. Do you see a trumpet player or a woman? Both, you see both? All right, you see both there? Do you see, uh, here's one. Do you see a young, beautiful woman or uh, an older, beautiful woman? I don't wanna get in trouble here. So young, beautiful woman or an older, beautiful woman? Can you, or can you see both? Uh, uh-huh. Do you see good or evil? Oh, that's a crazy one, isn't it? <clears throat> Good or evil? Ooh, it's all mixed up. He, uh, here's one. Uh, apparently, uh, some people just see blotches of white and black. Does anybody see anything else? Jesus. Oh, yeah, you're the sanctified ones if you see Jesus. So there you go, Jesus. What, did somebody put a laser pointer going on there? So, <laughs> And here is my favorite one. Stop that. Who's doing that? <laughs> and here's my favorite one. Here's my favorite one. Do you see a bunny or a duck? Yes, you see both. The bunny duck, the infamous bunny duck. Well, isn't it interesting how, I'm gonna get that off so you're not mesmerized by the bunny duck. Um, isn't it interesting how we can look at the same image and see different things? We can look at the same event and we can interpret it in very different ways. We can encounter the same person and we can perceive that person in profoundly different ways. This is very much about Palm Sunday and the experience varied for different people. People experience Jesus coming, riding into Jerusalem, riding in on that donkey, coming to celebrate the Passover, the week of unleavened bread, to have this final push People experienced it in profoundly different ways. When we look at the events of Palm Sunday, yes, we see a crowd gathered and that crowd shouts out, Hosanna, Hosanna to the King and comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. They were bowing down before him. They were laying down those uh, branches. They were shouting in many ways, crown him, crown him king. We know they wanted an earthly king. We know they wanted liberation and victory over their oppressors, but there were many who gathered, crown him. We know that others were shouting, kill him. That the Pharisees, the Sadducees, that the religious leaders had set out to get rid of the problem of Jesus and they shouted, kill him. We know that they pulled Rome into the events of the final week, leveraging the power that they could with the empire. They got Rome to shout out and to declare finally, crucify him, crucify him. The same Jesus, the same day, these same events of Palm Sunday, some want to shout, crown him. Others want to shout, kill him. That's the problem 
of Jesus. That's the problem of Palm Sunday. That's the problem that we're going to set out to figure out this day. This day, Palm Sunday, where we recognize that Jesus is coming into Holy Week, the final week of his earthly ministry. And here we know on Palm Sunday that, yes, we are going to crown him king. King of all creation. We crown him and we anoint him the prophet, the living word. We want to anoint him the living word, the, the, the priest who would sacrifice himself. But this is a confounding and confusing moment in the lives of many because they're interpreting things differently. They're seeing this playing out in different ways. Others are inserting their preferred agenda onto this Jesus and hoping to leverage what they can to get what they want out of the world. In today's text, we are in a sense going to look back then on the events of Palm Sunday. We're going to look back on the events of Jesus' life. And Paul is going to help us sort out what is happening on this day where we celebrate Palm Sunday. On this one that we crown king of all creation, the prophet, the priest, the Lord of all creation. He is going to help us to sort out what to make of these Events Because after the fact, after the fact of Jesus's life and ministry, after the fact of this holy week, after the fact that he is betrayed, that he is beaten, that he is crucified, that he is killed, after the fact that he is buried in the grave, after the fact that he rises on from the grave on the third day, after the fact that this ragtag bunch of disciples of Jesus who were fleeing, running, afraid for their lives, confused by what happened to the one they had put their faith and their hope in, after the fact that they came back together because something happened to draw them in, something happened to turn the corner that they became bold, they became courageous, they became compassionate, they became gracious. Something happened after Pentecost when the power of the Holy Spirit was poured out onto the world. When the church was born and this church began to move and to grow and to make an impact around the Roman Empire and around the world. This comes after the fact that during all of those events, there was a man named Saul who was himself a religious leader, who was himself one who has set his face, set his ways against Jesus Christ. Something happened to this man named Saul when he was on a journey going to kill and martyr more Christians. Something happened when Jesus spoke to him and his life was forever changed. Something happened in this man, Saul, as he turned the corner of his life and he became a man that we more often refer to now as Paul. So powerful was his transformation that it seemed to fit a name change as well. This man, Paul, after his encounter with Jesus Christ, spent nearly a decade rewiring, relearning, rethinking this image that he had of who Jesus was and what this church was all about. His own perspective of it shifted from the bunny to the duck to however you want to make it. His perspective began to change as he saw things in a radical new light as he looked at them through the eyes of Jesus and the work of redemption that he was bringing into the world. 
This man named Paul then went about and began to share the good news. He spent many years in ministry in Jerusalem and in Antioch as the church began to flourish and grow and change lives. Paul decided by the work of Jesus Christ in his life that he would be the one sent to the rest of the world. In his plans, he ran into a bit of a roadblock. He had a vision. You can read about it in Acts chapter 16, the vision of the man from Macedonia. The man from Macedonia was calling out to Paul, please come to us and share this good news in the story of Jesus Christ. And so he changed his plans and he headed off to what we would call in our world, in our perspective, the way we see things, modern day Europe. And the first city that he entered as he made that missionary journey was a city called Philippi. And as he entered into the city of Philippi, he met a woman named Lydia, and Lydia was a God-fear. And she heard the message of Jesus Christ, and God moved on her heart, and she believed. She and her whole household. And she and her whole household were baptized. And she invited Paul, to, and, uh, Paul and Silas to stay and to make her home the very hub of ministry and the growth of the church happening in that city of Philippi. Well, from that hub of ministry, he went out and began to share the good news with others. And along the way, a slave girl who was being held captive by an evil spirit began to interfere with his ministry. It's kind of humorous to actually read it yourself. He actually just almost in kind of a, a dismissive way, just finally says uh, to, the, to the evil spirit to be cast out and she is set free. Now, this is the interesting thing about that story. Nobody seemed to have a problem with the gospel just yet, but whenever this girl was set free, when she was no longer enslaved, when her owners could no longer make a profit from her, they said, oh, I think we have a problem with this Jesus. I think now we have a problem with this thing called the church. So when it hit their pocketbooks, they went to the magistrates and they had Paul and Silas thrown into prison. And during the night when they were in prison, they were singing psalms and praying and lifting up the name of Jesus Christ. And God decided to shake the very foundations of the earth and the doors of that jail were thrown open and their chains literally were, were told they fell off. And yet somehow they knew in their spirits that they were not to flee. When the jailer came to see what had happened and he saw that the doors were flung wide open, knowing that this would cost him his life, he decided to just get ahead of the game and he was about to fall on his own sword but Paul called out we're all here so moved by what was transpiring he fell before them and received Jesus Christ as his savior and lord and it says that he and his whole family that night were baptized as well Paul continued to do ministry in the city of Philippi and then he moved on and he did ministry in Galatia and Colossae and Ephesus. Fifteen years go by. Paul found himself in prison again. But this time there was no earthquake. This time the chains were put on to his ankles and the doors were shut. And there he languished. But Paul still saw God's hand at work in his life. And he knew that this was now the time and the season for him to begin to write letters to those churches that he had spent all those years planting. 
isn't that an amazing perspective of life and God's work in the world that in one situation, the doors can fly open and you use it for the glory of God. And in another situation where you could think that God has abandoned you, but you know that you're in that prison for the very purpose of writing the letters that would provide for us the story of Jesus and the inspiration of our faith. Ponder that a bit and it will make you tremble. So Paul decides to write this letter back to that church in Philippi where his ministry in so many ways got started. It's so important for us to understand the context of all this because he does what he normally does in this letter. He greets them as saints. These are now people turned from their sins to become the saints of Jesus Christ. He then says a prayer. He then informs them about a situation that he's literally now writing this letter to them while sitting in a jail in Rome. But then he turns the corner in his letter. And as we turn to chapter two, I wanna read these words for you. And I say this often, believe it really now, this is the message. Everything I'm gonna say from this point on is just a little bit of commentary on one of the richest texts of scripture that you will every ever hear ever hear because either I just provide a little commentary or we have to go the rest of the day unpacking what happens in these 11 verses and I'm thinking you don't want to spend the rest of the day with me as much as that hurts me here is the word of God for us I will ask our team if they could be the ones to scroll can you scroll along for me so I can focus on the reading thought yeah can all right you're gonna do it for me they're gonna try their best to get it on the screen here for for me Philippians chapter two, verses one through 11. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if you have any comfort from his love, if you have any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy from a prison cell. Then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature, God did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross." Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue acknowledge that, say it with me, friends, Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. In about a month, in a month and seven days, I'm going to be celebrating 25 years of marriage. Silver anniversary coming up. 
I've been thinking a lot about this for last 25 years of my life. And the first thing I have to say is it's amazing that my parents let me marry in elementary school. I mean, that's just crazy that they let me marry so young. Uh, the other thing is as I've been thinking about it and you know, I just, I just asked Ra, I, I mean, I realize this. When I think about 25 years, I just realize I punted past my coverage. I've been playing catch up for the last 25 years with this woman named Robin. But I asked her, I said, as you think about, you know, 25 years of marriage, Robin, like what, just, just what comes to mind? And Robin said, she just looked at me and she said, oh, George, I rejoice. And I said, oh, that's so sweet. She said, oh, I'm not done yet. <laughs> She said, Romans 5 tells us to rejoice in our sufferings because suffering produces encouragement. Encouragement produces hope and hope produces character and character doesn't disappoint us. And no, just kidding. So 25 years of marriage, but this is what I've been thinking a lot about 25 years of marriage. I hope she rejoices. We picked this as our wedding text. Actually, she picked it. I was going to go to one of the go-tos, and the go-tos are great. I mean, Corinthians chapter 13, the, the love chapter, it's fantastic. But I just remember the time and the conversation we were talking about the upcoming wedding and what we wanted to just be kind of a passage of Scripture that would set the trajectory of our life together. She just said, I, I, I think we should think about this Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 11 section. And I read it, and I got to say, it kind of terrified me. That's a pretty high calling to characterize a marriage or a life or a church or any one of us. And I've had to reflect then as we come upon 25 years of marriage, wow, do I have any encouragement from my union with Jesus Christ? Am I being filled with comfort by Jesus Christ? Am I moving together with Robin and the power of the same spirit in our lives? Is tenderness and compassion actually characterizing who I am? George, are you really doing nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit? That's just the introduction, friends. I mean, that's just the introduction because then Paul majestically turns the corner to turn all of our attention to say, if you're gonna live this kind of life, if you're gonna live a life of humility, of putting others above yourselves, you have to turn your attention to Jesus Christ because look at what Jesus Christ has done and who he is. Jesus, who is fully God and yet humbled himself became one of us, became obedient, became obedient to death. This Jesus Christ, by that submission, who is now the exalted one, that the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and every tongue confess. Oh my goodness, this is the trajectory of a marriage. This is the trajectory of our union with Jesus Christ. This is the trajectory of the church to live a life like this, my friends, this is the genius of what Paul has done here. With the most economical use of words, he has somehow brought together the whole of the ministry of Jesus Christ, both the humiliation 
and the exaltation. Let me give you the walkthrough really again real quick because I always remind you of this at Christmas and I'm gonna remind you of this as we turn the corner to Easter. Christmas marks the beginning of the first stage of the life of Jesus Christ that we call the humiliation because wouldn't it be humiliating for the God of all creation and infinite, almighty, immutable, all-powerful and all those attributes we give to God to take on our human flesh. Yes, we bear the image of God. Yes, these bodies will be resurrected. Yes, there is beauty and glory in these vessels, but oh, to take on human flesh with all of its limitations. Jesus Christ humbled himself in his birth. He humbled himself in his ministry. And we see that he is about to experience the greatest of humiliations. He will humiliate himself in that death on the cross and be buried in that tomb. But that sets the stage for this exaltation, which Paul so beautifully weaves right into it. Through that humiliation comes the exaltation of resurrection, the exaltation of his ascension to heaven, the exaltation of his reign in heaven here and now interceding on our behalf and the ultimate exaltation of his glorious return in which we put our hope and our faith. And Paul has so beautifully brought together for us this humiliation and exaltation. In verse one, what he's kind of doing there is he's just kind of hitting that reset button. He's hitting that reset button for the church in Philippi and for us. Think about what your union in Christ has provided for you. If you have this union in Christ, if you have this unity of the spirit, if you have this tenderness and compassion, then he wants to make this encouragement for us to pursue unity as the body of Christ. Now, what is so important to understand right here, what the prayer, what we already walked through today here has already pointed us towards is that Paul is not inviting us to be unified for the sake of unity. He is inviting us to seek unity in and through Christ and Christ alone. Because we know that people have unified for the worst of reasons. And people that get together for the worst of reasons can commit the most atrocious of evils. People got together and they unified. The Pharisees and the Sadducees and the religious leaders, they got unified to kill Jesus. They got unified with an empire to kill Jesus. And people today still get unified to commit horrific acts of evil against humanity. I, I don't have to repair that prayer. I, I had a whole section I can cut out now. Thank you so much for that prayer because we have watched what can be done in the name of unity, the wars, the evils, the heartache and the heartbreak that that can create. No, 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 friends. We are to seek unity in Jesus Christ. We are to seek unity in him and our unity in him is to then guide and direct all that we do as the body of Christ. Uh, A.W. Tozer wrote this. Let me just read this quote for you. I like this one. He wrote, has it ever occurred to you that 100 pianos all tuned to the same fork are automatically tuned to each other. They are of one accord by being tuned not to each other, but to another standard to which each one must individually bow. So 100 worshipers meeting together, each one looking away to Christ, are in heart near to each other than they could ever possibly be 
or they to become unity conscious and turn their eyes away from God and to strive for closer fellowship. That is the unity to which Paul is inviting us. Find your unity in Jesus Christ. That is how a marriage becomes unified in Jesus Christ. I put my life in Jesus. Robin puts her life in Jesus. And together we find our lives in Jesus. We always think about it just that kind of like that, that triangle. Instead of moving closer to each other, why not just seek to both move closer to God? And as you seek to move closer to God and Jesus Christ, find yourselves more and more united than you've ever been before. So it goes for the whole church, the entire body of Christ. Each of us puts our full focus, our full attention, our full devotion onto Christ and Christ alone. And then in Christ alone, we become unified, the very body of Jesus Christ. And so we pursue this unity. And as we pursue this unity, Paul again makes that incredible economic turn of words for us to say, and here's what will happen as you pursue Christ together, your minds, your spirits, you will be united in Jesus Christ and your attitude, your mindset will begin to shift and to change to become more like him. Let me wrap it up here for us, friends. It's been a big service, hasn't it already? What this is doing so beautifully for us, it is bringing together what I have long said would be my million dollar idea if I'd ever actually act on it because I know somebody went out there and they made millions of dollars with the WWJD bracelets. Those are great bracelets. That's a great expression. Anybody remember what it says? WWJD. We should be asking, what would Jesus do? But we should be asking what Jesus would do in light of what Jesus has done. Paul here has given us two bracelets. The first says, what has Jesus done? Look at what Jesus has done. Look at what the Son of God has done. He humbled himself. He humiliated himself. He sacrificed himself to become the atonement for your sin. He went to the grave so that you might live. Hallelujah and amen. Look at what Jesus has done. And when you get rooted in your heart and your mind what Jesus has done, oh, then it becomes a joy. It becomes a joy to ask, now what would Jesus do? What would Jesus do? And what must I do in light of all he has done? I too must do nothing out of selfish ambition. I too must do nothing out of vain conceit. I too must put others above myself. I too must be filled with tenderness. I too must be filled with this kind of compassion. Oh, that I too could be filled with this kind of love that can only come from what Jesus has done. This is it. I mean, this is like the whole of the Christian life. Live into this and everything will work itself out. What has Jesus done? What would Jesus do? I invite Joy and EJ, EJ, right? Am I saying that right? To come on back and they're gonna lead us in a little bit more worship. But as I thought about living into this life that Jesus is calling us to live, I thought about an illustration I gave about a year ago, but it, it, it stuck with me for the past year, I have to say. Sometimes things stick with the preacher. <laughs> Some things more than others. But it kind of evolved over a situation, hanging out with Robin and playing with my nephews, and she kind of pointed it out. We were playing a game of hide and seek, as normally happens when I'm with the three little boys. 
And they're running around and hiding. Actually, I think that day it may have just been Everett. And normally whenever he comes over and we play hide and seek, I usually play the part of the fool. Oh, where is he? I can't find him. Is he behind the couch? And you hear him giggling over in another room. Is he behind the curtain? You know, you kind of play with the kids. You know, you act the fool a little bit. I don't know what it was. For this reason, this one day I thought, I'm going to show him I'm not completely inept. I'm not actually that dumb. So he went off and hid. And I just walked right over to him. (laughs) And I said, there you are. And it turned out he was delighted to be found. He was delighted to be seen. And it was Robin that pointed out, isn't that just like life? That we delight in being the one seen? That we delight in being the one found? My natural disposition is to walk into the room and to buy into the the story that culture and the ways the world tell me, they say, be the star, be the center of attention, have the funny story, give the little anecdote, try and one-up everybody. If they tell about this vacation, you tell about how your vacation was even better. If they tell about how they did this one thing at work, tell about what you did. And we just buy into that story of trying to make more of ourselves. But that helped me to begin to turn the corner to say, why don't I start to become that person instead of coming into the room and saying, here I am, to always be that person who walks into the room and say, there you are. There you are, my wife. What can I do to show you tenderness and love and encouragement and compassion and to do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but to try and make more of you? What can I do, my son? What can I do, my daughter? What can I do, my son-in-law, to say, how can I make less of myself and help make more of you today? How can I walk into the room as your pastor and say, how can I make more of you? I see you. I see your struggles. I see your hardship. I see the difficult things you're going through. How can I pray for you? How can I serve you? How can I help you? Let's just become a kind of a people. Let's all walk into the room and just say to everybody, there you are. Now let's make less of me and more of you. And together, maybe that's what being the body of Christ is all about. Maybe that's what unity in Christ is all about. Maybe that's what making more of Christ is all about when we seek to just make more of others than ourselves. And he is honored and glorified in that. Let me pray for us, friends, and we're going to take communion because there is no better sign and seal of what it means for us to come in unity than to come to the table that he has prepared for us. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for this time that we've had to gather and to worship on this Palm Sunday. And we know that others sought to kill you, others sought to kill you, others sought to betray you and get rid of you. But we join the crowd in wanting to crown you. We crown you Hosanna, King, King of all creation, King of our lives. And how glorious then it is that the King of all creation invites us to sit at the table and to dine with him, to dine with you. And so we joyfully receive these elements that you have given us so that we can taste, that we can experience tangibly in a real way your grace for us. We thank you for this sacrament in the name of Jesus, our Savior and Lord. Amen. Because it was 
Oh, I forgot my communion cup. I got to go grab it. Breaking the moment. Because it was this coming week on Jesus' final night with his disciples. And he would take the bread and he would lift it up and he would break it and tell his disciples, this is my body broken for you. Take and eat. Do this in remembrance of me. And after supper, he would lift the cup and say, this cup is now the new covenant which is sealed in my blood, which is shed for you in the forgiveness of your sins. Take and drink and do this in remembrance of me. And we do this knowing that every time we take of this bread and we drink of this cup, we are proclaiming the saving death of our risen Lord until he comes again. And hallelujah and amen, we have the promise that he will come again. Let me give one more prayer of giving thanks to God and then we'll worship him. Jesus, we do thank you that this is the week when we will remember so powerfully, so vividly, and we will walk with you through your sacrifice, the lamb of God whose blood was shed for the forgiveness of our sins. We give you thanks that you are willing to come to us, but not just to come to us to be with us, but to die for us. We give you thanks that that sets up the power of your resurrection on Easter Sunday and the promise of new creation, of new life, and the promise of your return. Just as you came once, we hold dear to the promise that you are coming again. And so we pray now, come, Lord Jesus, come in your name. Amen. Let's worship. Would you stand and sing with us? I'm forgiven because you were forsaken.